welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. I'm very blessed and honored to have the following guests join us on this podcast. This gentleman truly lives at the intersection of living the Catholic faith and building Lego. He's got an outstanding ministry called the Lego Church Project, in which he has spent over 20 years building and displaying his various Lego projects at various parishes and events. He's also an occasional writer and passionate about disability awareness. Makes his home in Saginaw, Michigan, and most important of all, he is our brother in Christ. Mr. John Kramer, welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me, sir. Good to be here. Right on. Thanks, John. You know, most people in Canada, I mean, we love our hockey here, right? And uh, (laughs) and could probably tell you the first thing they think of when they hear Saginaw is that that city is the home of the Ontario Hockey League Saginaw spirit. So, oh yes, we got to ask you, John, are you a hockey fan? I am a little bit, and I've actually been to a couple of their games. Uh, it's such an important thing for uh, Saginaw, and really glad that we have the team here. We, we've had hockey teams come and go, but the Saginaw Spirit have always are probably one of our longest serving teams. So it's good good for Saginaw to have them here. Yeah, it's funny, just like uh, college football players uh, that go on to the NFL or, or play well up here in the Canadian Football League as well. They associate uh, a lot of fans associate them with where they played their college football. Same with hockey, a lot of fans associate NHL players with where they played their their junior hockey. And there's been a, a few real good ones that have come through Saginaw. One that comes to mind right now is uh, Vincent Trocheck. I think he's uh, with the, the Panthers, I believe, right now. So. Some uh, very good players that have come through there. Of course, the Detroit Red Wings are one of the few places, I guess, in the United States, Michigan, that uh, hockey is a, a big deal in that state, right? So. Oh, it is. Uh, I've been to Detroit, downtown Detroit, numerous times, and it is all over the place. And, of course, since you've got you've got all three arenas, uh, you've, you've got the uh, where the Red Wings play. You've got Ford Field and uh, Comerica Park right in close proximity to each other, right down in downtown Detroit. Beautiful time to go visit there. Uh, I hope to get back down that way sometime Yeah, uh, in the near future. Hopefully <laughs> things get back to somewhat normal, I guess, right? I, you know what? I've always loved to to go check out Michigan, too, and, uh, and going on a sports trip. I think that'd be a lot of fun going to see uh, any one of those. Uh, a combination of games down there would be a lot of fun. And to come by and say hello to you, even though I know Detroit's probably a a little ways away from Saginaw, but uh, hey, yes. if you're road tripping, why not? We'll come say hi to you too, John. See your oh, Lego okay. project. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, also, too, you can also go to Frankenmuth for the largest Christmas store in the world. Oh, yes. Okay, I've, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah, right on. <laughs> that's that's neat. You betcha. Although, although, to be perfectly fair, the one place I do want to go down to when I go visit Detroit is the Father Slash Casey Center as part of St. Bonaventure. Right. Yep. Uh, monastery down there uh, I've always wanted to check that place out uh, I've, I've featured Father Slance in a couple of my projects in the past and I still have that photo uh, photo of his uh, in a frame I keep it on uh, in my uh, TV stand 
So a lot of interesting history with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and Detroit and Michigan uh, in general have a, a real neat history of the Catholic faith as well, right? So there's uh, there's definitely a strong yeah. presence of Catholicism in, in Michigan. So that's uh, that's really cool. Well, before we get to, to uh, these uh, real cool pieces of Lego art that you do through this uh, Lego Church project, maybe tell us a little bit about your background, John, and some of the spiritual influences in your life to, to get you to, to where you're at today. Well, it's kind of funny with me. I have a malformer cerebral palsy, uh, which means that it effect, basically affects a lot of the fine motor controls that I have, my hand-eye coordination, uh, my balance issues, sometimes with social interactions, learning disabilities and that. And yet I'm able to freehand out of my own mind, build these massive constructs out of Lego, which in many cases involve a lot of technical architectural design elements that are just stuff you don't necessarily see, but it's stuff that's there inside the project to keep it from falling apart on me. <laughs> so uh, as, as a, I'm a lifelong Catholic, uh, I'm a proud member of Christ the Good Shepherd Parish here in Saginaw. Beautiful church, beautiful community there. Uh, they have been fans of my work. They support my work. Uh, and so it's just kind of funny where, where everything kind of intersects together with both the Legos and the, and the church. I'm fairly active when we have choir, uh, fairly active in the choir uh, in our parish as well. One of the things that I do love to do is sing. <laughs> Oh, that's that's great, and uh, and and right now, how are things looking right now? I guess with uh, with your parish and this whole uh, COVID craziness that we've been experiencing around the world, and particularly in North America, has, has your parish been opened up again? Can you can you attend? Our mass? parish has been opened up since since uh, mid June. Uh, we we were shut down for a couple months, uh, but you know what? Things are okay. Uh, attendance is about on average for what we've had. We're, we're linked with another parish, so we get some of the influx of those people as well. We have a pastor right now, Father Bill, who's very well liked uh, at both places and really speaks from the Holy Spirit when he gives us homilies. So we have a lot of, he's a very good leader, very good shepherd for our parishes, which is what we need right now, especially during all the chaos and stuff. I think we're still waiting to hear from the diocese as to what we are going to be allowed to do in terms of the Easter uh, liturgies. We're still trying to sort that out. I know Lansing's still trying to wait for word on what they can do as well. So there's a lot of interesting things going on, a lot of uh, moving parts that are still haven't been fully decided, and more so as the vaccine gets rolled out uh, here in the uh here in the state. So I think once we get a better handle on what's going on, I think Easter is going to be a rather interesting time. And uh, grace of God, maybe we'll start having some kind of sense of normalcy soon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, and I hope that, uh, yeah, last year that was um, such a sad time for us up here. You know, Easter was, was canceled. I mean, at least, uh, at least with the, with public mass. And uh, I really hope that that does not happen again. It doesn't look like it will. But uh, boy, uh, celebrating Easter and Easter Vigil, um, you know, just via live stream, uh, I don't ever want to do that again. So, <laughs> well, what we what we did here in Saginaw was our diocese contracted with the with one of our local TV networks to broadcast the Easter Mass live on their television station. So, a lot of people who may not necessarily have internet were was able to watch the Easter liturgy 
uh, via television, which was nice. And I think they did that for one other time as well, but uh, it was a very difficult time. Uh, I'm glad to be back in the parish uh, with restrictions or whatnot. It's just good to be able to be a part of it, uh, especially for someone like me who has a real hard time with focus and attention. It is important for people like with my kind of disability to be physically there, to be immersed in that fully. And that's something you just can't get with too many worldly distractions like on your computer screen or on your television. hundred percent. And you know what? That's not just for you, John. That's for everybody. And, and when we celebrate the sacraments and we think about uh, the Holy Eucharist, you know, we can't do that over Skype or Zoom. And uh, this is, uh, you know, an opportunity that I think we've has kind of slipped us by in the church to, to make that statement to the world that the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian, the Catholic life. And, um, you know, we just, yeah, we can't do this over the computer. We have to be there in person and have to figure out a way and, and make a way work. Right. So, so that's great. I'm glad to hear that uh, you're back at, uh, at mass. A lot of places still are under these restrictions. And, uh, even up here in Canada, it sounds like it's, uh, several steps, uh, uh behind, uh, here we're, we're in Alberta and other places in the U S. So we'll continue to pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters that just cannot go to mass right now. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this uh, this Lego project that you're working on. And uh, I know Lego is such a big, I've always loved Lego and probably like a lot of parents, you may lose a little bit of interest as you, you get older and get to be an adult. But when you have kids, that love of Lego and building, it's uh, reignited with the, with your children. And I know uh, my, my two sons and then my uh, my older daughter, they, they all love Lego. So when did it become a, a hobby for you? When did you start uh, uh, building Lego? When did the the idea and the concept to build uh, churches out of Lego. When did that come to you? Well, growing up, it, it was, I've always been doing churches of some kind. Growing up, I had these friends who were building these elaborate spaceships and I couldn't do that to save my feathers. So I started building uh, buildings. I started doing these rudimentary buildings. Over time, they started to develop, uh, started getting a basic interior inside them. Uh, they started taking shape as a church uh, because, but that's growing up. That was the important part of it. Uh, church and family. Those were the important things that we were involved in. So if, for, for someone like me, it was only natural to go in that direction with my, with, with these building toys. As I got older, I still kept doing the churches. Uh, when I did my first public display uh, at the Mount Zion uh, Catholic uh, Center in uh, Flushing, Michigan, uh, for what became eventually became season one, that opened up a whole new set of doors for me. Flash forward a couple of years later, I started doing the uh, Advent Christmas display at what we call St. Helens, but now known as Christ the Good Shepherd. That turned it into a true ministry for me, season four. So from season four onward, I've been doing my annual display, even in the midst of this pandemic, thank God. Uh, so it's given me the fuels to keep going, to explore the faith creatively through Lego. Yeah, that's so neat. So, uh, you know, typically how many pieces of Lego do you, do you use to build uh, one of your projects then, John? I mean, these are, these are not small, uh, you know, little things that you take out of a box that you'd buy at a, at a store. I mean, you, you've got a lot of pieces going on. And, and I guess how long would it take to, to typically build one of these churches? I usually figure in terms of timeline, if, if everything is going according to plan, 
it can take as little as a month to build. If I have parts delays, if I kind of got a little ambitious with the design, <laughs> uh, it can take a little bit longer, up to about two, two and a half months, depending on, on what I'm doing. Uh, the typical measurements of one of my buildings, at least in the last five years or so, I would say it's been pushing around between 40, 44 and 45 inches long to a height of about 23 inches to a width of about maybe 24 and a half, give or take. I say 25 because that's about as close as it is. This one alone is going to be about 47 inches long, which is like the first time in many years I've actually built that one that long. So there's a lot of things that you have to look into a lot of window pieces you have to get and a lot of everything else in between. Uh, I put in a lot of BrickLink orders this year, probably more so than normal, but I think once it's finished, I think people are going to really love uh, how it turns out. And it's a, it's a complex thing. Uh, I've got literally got a table set up in my living room and I'm building on it. It's taking up most of the table. It literally is taking up most of the table. Uh, this is not a small project. <laughs> if you ever seen the pictures of me standing next to one, there, there's one where I've got a priest and me standing next to, was it season, season 20? We're standing next to season 20 of uh, Father Jose from All Saints Parish in Bay City. He was standing next to me uh, in the project. And you can see that it's not a small thing. <laughs> You're talking at least, I'd like to say 25,000 pieces, and that's just a ballpark estimate. I know some of the sections of the floor took up at least a couple thousand pieces easy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, and, and you're right, the, the size, you have to have somebody standing next to it to really realize the um, the enormity of the, the set itself, right? So that's that's great. Yeah. Now, when you're doing the different projects, is there, um, this Catholic architecture itself, uh, the, the, the architecture of a of a Catholic church, does that influence your concepts, John? Or what, what, what do you, where do you kind of, yeah, draw those, uh, those uh, influences, inspirations, I guess, to build these things? I think the influence comes from this deep desire that we have really moved away from our parishes of this sense of grandness. Uh, there are a lot of places that I've visited over the years, somewhere you enter in and you instinctively know where you're stepping into there's a sense that you're looking around the entire building trying to study it, to see what has been built, to see where things are going. And the church really does tell the story. And I think in a lot of ways, we've kind of moved away from that storytelling of the architecture. And I think with my design influences, I'm trying to recapture some of that beauty that has been lost over the years. So a lot of, uh, I often joke that it's kind of like a, a neo- classic style that I'm trying to build uh, because of the fact that you want, when I want people to look inside, I want them to see that this indeed is a church, that there is no question. I want that sense of wonder, that sense of awe, uh, the same kind of feeling that when I'm visiting a parish, I walk in, especially when it's a new place I haven't been to, uh, that just that sense of, wow, this place looks amazing. The stories this place can tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think of, you know, going into um, the Vatican or, you know, all the, these great basilicas and, and churches in the Vatican, and then if you go to even just basilicas and cathedrals, even in North America, some of the older ones are just beautiful. You walk in, it it uh, reminds you that we're 
we're made for something a lot greater than what's on earth, right? We're, we're on a journey towards yeah. heaven. And, and, you know, to that point you made, John, about, uh, you know, when you walk into a church, it should feel like you're into a Catholic church. And I'm sure, you know, if you've traveled enough and a lot of our listeners have traveled, you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of Catholic oh, art and yes. architecture, right? So, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, I think it, and it's disappointing because there are some new churches being built. And sometimes you, you look at them and it's like, they're built to be practical in the sense of where's the best place to, to put our donuts and our coffee at the end of yeah. church, right? <laughs> or, or uh, you know, where can we put the kitchen versus, you know, when you, when you walk in, if uh, I always say, if you're walking into a Catholic church and you can't find the tabernacle, that's a, that's a bit of a frightening thought. Uh, if you can't see where a crucifix is, that's, a, yeah. that's problematic as well. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's so important that we, we bring that back. And I think we've, we've lost that, that sense. And, the sense of um, of uh, that that we are made for something greater, something greater to aspire to on earth, but also to aspire to go to heaven. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, John? I think I think it's very important for us as Catholics to really to explore. There's a lot of people that want to argue that tradition is a bad word. I disagree. I think that there is a happy medium somewhere between the traditions of the past and where we're going with the current future of the church, and that plays a direct role in how our architecture should be. Uh, I'm not one for making grand statements in anything, but at the same time, I think there's more than we can be doing to bring that sense of inspiration back to where things should be. Uh, I often say that I'm not a traditionalist by any stretch, but still here we are. Uh, I've been to a lot of parishes over the years. Some, like you said, some are beautiful. Some are, even some of the modern ones, you go in, you see where everything is at, and it's like, oh, this is a beautiful place. Then you come to other places, especially ones that have been renovated over the years, and it's like you wonder, what the heck were they thinking? Why did they tear apart such beauty? Why did they uh, mute everything? <laughs> it's like, my gosh, it's like, why do we destroy our churches? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, even even uh, simple things like the Stations of the Cross, like yeah. things that are uh, devotionals that we can have. And, and, you know, you go to some of these older uh, parishes and they have the, the beautiful Stations of the Cross around the, the inside of the walls. And uh, really reminds you, too, that, uh, you know, things aren't just like we're, we're recording this during Lent. Uh, things don't always go smooth for us when we're on Earth. They don't go smooth that often. There's a lot of obstacles and and this uh, this journey to eternal life is going to have a lot of bumps on the road. And I always find whenever I look at the stations of the cross, you know, sometimes your 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 eyes wander at even when you're at uh, at mass. But you look at the stations of the cross, and you realize, you know, it's something that can just immerse you in the experience of being at mass and being yeah. close to our Lord, right? So I uh, know that uh, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And so, what what do you think? I mean, you know, inside I mean, I mentioned the stations of the cross, but uh, what are some of the favorite parts of uh, you know, inside of a church, you know, we, we look at the spire from the outside of a Catholic church that always, that's always inspiring to me. But when you come inside, what's the, the one thing that kind of catches your eye the most when you walk inside of a Catholic church? I think for me, other than the altar, the tabernacle, that's always very important. But for me, though, it is often the stained glass. Uh, one of the things I love about, about Christ the Good Shepherd, we have this beautiful stained glass that when you look at it, you see the story being told. And I think that's something that we've kind of moved away from. Uh, but that stained glass, the artwork, the artistry that went into creating that, 
uh, that's something that we don't see very much anymore in our parishes, uh, where you can where you can see the image of what's going on. And I think for me, for someone who loves that kind of reflections of light, that's something that I'm trying to capture with my building. I can't do a traditional stained glass window because I need people to be able to see inside to see all the details. So I use a lot of other pieces to try and capture that same kind of effect to for the, for the light to shine both inward, from, from the light to shine from the outside to looking in, but also seeing the light from the church itself shine outward as a reflection of our own faith, that Christ should be radiating through us in our daily lives. <laughs> interesting, interesting reflections on that today. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you know, that's what I noticed too about, uh, about this most recent project that you're working on is, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to, um, you know, um, create or, or to have pieces, I guess that would be like a stained glass window without being able to see what's actually happening inside the church. But it's an important detail. Little details like that are so important, right? And you mentioned before we, we started talking here just offline um, about uh, about St. Joseph. Obviously, we're in the year of St. Joseph. And are there some uh, some of the parts of your project where you want to make sure that you have a, a little area for the saints or uh, an area for the tabernacle, the altar? How important is that, too, to make sure that you have that those little details in there to say, yeah, this is not only is this a church, but this is a Catholic church that I'm building with Lego. I often joke, but at the same time, I'm being very serious. The design influence for the particular season is usually built around what I'm going to do for the altar. The altar is one of the first things that gets mapped out after the initial layout. And I will change the layout sometimes in those sections to reflect what I'm trying to do. The tabernacle is like one of the first things that's may not necessarily be bricked in right away, but at the same time, though, it is definitely one of the things that is taken into consideration when I'm building. Uh, where am I going to place the statues? I've got this year, I've got a statue of the Virgin Mary, and I have got a statue of St. Joseph. Where are they going to go? I want them in an area that is visible. I want people to be able to see those elements. Uh, this year alone, I'm using a lot more translucent, uh, semi-transparent bricks uh, than I have in any other time before, and even rivaling uh, season 21's use of it. Uh, I'm using it in a lot of different areas of the building where the light's going to hit it. And I think it's going to be create a rather interesting effect, but I also think it's going to get people's attention. Uh, I want people to be able to see inside the project. I want people to be able to notice the small details, whether it's a goofy droid some, sitting somewhere, a cat wandering around. That's some stuff that will get people's attention. They'll get them, draw them in, but then they'll start to see oh, wow, he put crosses in the floors? Wow, there's a cross built into the tabernacle? <laughs> it's like those details matter. The smallest of details matter because people will notice that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, even you look at Scripture and, and uh, uh, reading passages from Scripture, there's certain little words in there that, that uh, they're not insignificant. Every word in the Bible is is uh, significant. Even even one word or even two words, it makes a big difference to paint a picture of what's really happening. And I think even in details like what you're working with with this church, they're all significant. They mean something. Whether that's the statues uh, or the the crosses, you know, on the on the floor. I mean, that's that all means something for sure. So, no, that's uh, that's great. So under under normal circumstances, what would your typical schedule be, John? So you've got it takes you about a month, sometimes a little bit more, to build. 
Um, and the, I guess the, the timing when you, when you take it out on the road, you mentioned that you do these things usually at Christmas time, but, uh, how many different parishes do you take it to? And do you even get out to, um, outside of the parishes into the greater community? Do you display it at other places in the, in the public as well? It kind of depends on the situation. Uh, the last full season that I had would be like season 19 and season uh, 20, where I did about four or five displays. Uh, that would be a typical. Uh, normally, usually by May or after Easter, depending on which comes first, I'll usually do one display uh, up in Bay City sometimes. Uh, then I'll do a couple holiday bazaars uh, here and there or other places where I might be invited. Uh, one year for season 19, they had a, a disability awareness conference at one of the parishes. I was invited out to come up, bring the project out for that. Beautiful time, got to talk to a lot of people uh, in the areas that I'm concerned about uh, with the disability and stuff. So under normal seasons, the uh, under normal circumstances, uh, the building itself, it can take a little bit longer depending on what, uh, how many pieces I've got ordered in. Uh, delays like that. Sometimes other things just get in the way a little bit. Life has to move on. There's been a few health crises. Uh, last year, I was building season 20 or 21 in the midst of being very sick with some kind of upper respiratory infection, which is right around the same time that COVID was coming into prominence. So there's a possibility that I may have had that. <laughs> Certainly felt like it based on what I read. But yeah, you get those challenges here and there, but you work with them. Uh, I'm not necessarily in a rush to try and get the project done. I would like to see it completed, but I also like to see it done the right way. Uh, when you rush, you tend to make too many mistakes. So this, the times where I slow down a little bit, I can look at things, make some changes when necessary. Uh, it's like over the weekend, yesterday I was working on some sections that I want to put in for a couple of window uh, pieces. Uh, just stuff, it's like little stuff that you work on here and there that gives you the idea of where you want to take things. I have, I'm probably about 60% finished with this current build, uh, which is a little bit long time. Normally I would have been finished up by now, but you know what, I'm not worried about it. It's all in the hands of God and uh, once I get the rest of the stuff in to finish the build, I think people are going to be really amazed by what I have planned this year. I have a lot of new things in this particular building that I haven't had before. <laughs> Even a service dog for the first time that I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, <laughs> my mind is constantly spinning. I'm a very hyperactive person on a good day. And when I'm working on the project, it brings me a sense of peace. Uh, I can really focus, take time to focus on prayer uh, because I'm praying with my hands, literally. I'm praying for the church. I'm praying for the needs of others around me. There's a lot going on right now, not all of it good, uh, especially within the churches. Like you said before, some churches are still closed. Praying for those to be reopened, praying for the opportunity for us to celebrate Mass again fully uh, without restrictions because there are a lot of people who are scared right now. A lot of people are scared, and for good reason too. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, definitely this affects a certain, especially a certain segment of the the population. Some of our our elderly, and and some with our, you know, um, I guess pre-existing conditions that are 
in place that uh, just like a, a flu or other virus, it can be very uh, detrimental and very damaging to them. So, but there is that fear, and and I, you know, I guess we always say too that um, you know perfect love casts out all fear, and you know even Saint Charles Borromeo says to to fear the plague of the soul versus the contagion of the body, right? And I think that we still have uh, you know the, the folks that are that are healthy and. Um, you know, they're sometimes using this as a bit of a crutch to say, oh, I'm not going to go to mass, but yet they're still going to go to a restaurant or they're going to go to a big box store and, and go shop. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to see that, but, um, but, you know, back to your point of how this is bringing you closer to God. I, I just love how you said, you know, you're praying with your hands and, 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 uh, and when you're building things and, and doing uh, works of art like this, how has it affected your personal relationship with Jesus? And, and has there been opportunities for you to, to share your faith with others? Because you do get out to the, the greater church community and even outside the church community as well. Has there been some examples where you could uh, share your faith with others through this project? I'm always willing to talk about what I do. And it's not to so much to toot my own horn, but rather it is to share the faith. I believe, truly believe in evangelizing, and I believe that God can use your talents. I use my project as a way to show that no matter what challenge or disability that you face, God can still use your talents. He's using me. I've got cerebral palsy, a mild form of it. I have mobility issues. I have uh, challenges that I deal with daily. And yet, here I am. I'm taking my time to build these constructs, which people have told me numerous times, well, you should have been an architect or you must be a trained architect. I'm not. I'm just a common guy who has these unique challenges in life. And I'm designing things that are way beyond my normal understanding of the world around me. And you have to figure these projects are fairly sturdy once completed. They're about 40 pounds, give or take. Uh, they're kitchen table size, easily enough. It's like you, it's like you put me next to one of them. Uh, I'm a fairly big fellow as it is, and these things are almost bigger than me. <laughs> but you have to have that internal structure to keep everything tied together. Uh, and it's really kind of, I, I compare it to how our church should be. Uh, alone, we are vulnerable. Alone, we are disconnected from everything. Uh, and much like a Lego piece, a single Lego piece, you can't do much with it. But when you put it together with something bigger and tie it all together, we are strong. A community, as a community, we are strong. Uh, jumping back for a minute, during the early days of the pandemic, when a lot of parishes were closed outright, we took a lot of things for granted. And I hope that once things start to come back to normal, we can reclaim some some of the things that we felt that we may have lost, not just as a parish community, but within our own faith as well. I know I've certainly been doing a lot of reflecting on that. Uh, we took we 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 took things for granted way too much. Absolutely, there's no question about that, and even just accessibility to the sacraments, right, John? Mm-hmm. We could go to receive, go to mass, you know, every day if you wanted to. Definitely uh, on weekends and and even going to confession and these things uh, leave there. Uh, boy, you, you definitely notice a difference in your spiritual life for sure. And I think we've noticed that as the body of Christ too, right? Yeah. Well, I know for me during the initial shutdown, uh, our diocese shut down for a few months and it was painful. 
it was pain, truly painful because you're so used to doing things in a certain way. And to have that taken from you, and it's like, I know that for me, building season uh, 21 during the middle of that, uh, early days of that pandemic was important because it gave me something to focus on. Working on season 22, I'm reflecting on all that has happened within this last year. Uh, a lot of things took place even for myself. I had a couple minor health crises as well. Uh, early part of the year, I got sick for a bit, but grace of God, I'm still standing. But it, it makes you reevaluate what is important. And the faith should always be important. We should take every effort to, if the churches are open in your area, make every effort to go to Mass, please. Uh, our parishes are struggling enough as it is. Uh, I know our parish has very strict safety rules, and we've done rather well, thank God. Uh, and I think and there are some people who can't go out right now because they have legitimate health issues, whether like, like facing cancer or stuff, where they don't have the immune system, and even walking outside their door poses risk. And I understand that. But for mostly able-bodied, healthy people, they should be making every effort to attend. I'm certainly not going to live my life in fear. Uh, I have a greater risk of being hit on my trike, <laughs> which unfortunately actually happened earlier this year or no last year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And John, you're such a great example of, um, you know, some, and so people know you do not drive right now. You don't, it's no, not, I don't. I've not driven. To, yeah. I haven't driven in about a decade. It's not like you can jump in your car and just head to mass, right? It's it's a little bit more of a tangle for you to get to mass, but you're making that that effort uh, through the the assistance of maybe some other folks. But you're you're making that effort to get to mass, and that's I see that's where the problem is, John. Is that there's a lot of um, able-bodied people that are out there that just don't make that that effort to go. Yeah. They're, they're going to restaurants. They'll you know they go to a, a an event of some sort that's uh, nothing to do with church, but they're not going to mass because. You know, there's these blanket dispensations out there to say that you you don't have to go right now, but you know the, the dispensation is uh, if you have a legitimate concern, not not one that uh, you're using as a crutch, right? So I, I just really appreciate yeah. your example there, John. I think that that goes a long way to uh, to show people how much you love going to mass and how much you love participating in the Eucharist and having that that community, that faith community. You can't find that on Zoom or Skype. Well, it's for me, it's a mindset that. For me, the Mass is a priority. Uh, I make every conceivable effort to go. Uh, if I'm not feeling good, I will not take the risk right now because obviously I want to be respectful to those around me, especially in our parish, which has a very high percentage of elderly. So you have to take that into consideration. Once in a while, my normal rides are not able to go to church for whatever reason. Those are usually the times I don't go because of the fact that sometimes trying to find a ride at the last minute is a bit of a challenge. Uh, I, and I think sometimes I think one of my biggest nitpicks before this pandemic hit was we're not doing enough in that area. I, I think there's more that the churches, whether it be on the diocesan level or being through the various service organizations like the Knights of Columbus, I think there's a really missed opportunity for evangelization to even help those who don't drive uh, take care of the things that they need to take care of. And those, some of those issues are spiritual in nature. 
and we're not doing enough to help our communities in that respect. I think that's true inclusivity, John. That's true inclusivity when we when we recognize that people that maybe don't have a disability like yourself, John, but even folks that are that are elderly that uh, you know they don't drive anymore, or they don't have family that can give them a ride, and their desires to come to mass and to to be a part of the body of Christ through the mass, receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, but they can't yeah. go. And uh, yeah, it was an issue before, and it's got to be an issue now. And and I guess maybe that's, you know, the next question for you is, you know, how you talked a little bit about isolation already and people feeling alone. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do to us, right? He tries to, to isolate us. But, uh, you know, we've seen essential services like abortion clinics are called essential, which is absolutely crazy. And I know you're you're a big uh, a big pro-life advocate, just as I am. It's uh, it's craziness, isn't it? But how have folks that, that have mobility issues... Um, especially, you know, even before the lockdowns, but especially now when there are a lot of places locked down, how has that affected mental health? I cannot speak to anyone else but my own experiences. And I do know that during the initial days of the lockdown, I had more anxiety attacks than I had at any given time. Uh, You see me on social media, especially Twitter. I'm always open about when I'm struggling with certain things, uh, especially with the anxiety. being isolated, being kept away from what is important to you, that can be even more damaging than the risk of the virus itself. Uh, You see a lot in the news reports where a lot of the crimes have spiked up because of the fact that services were curtailed, social activities were limited. Uh, In my own case, I had some severe anxiety attacks that took me out of commission for a couple days. Uh, stuff that that normally would not set me off out of the blue is like, whoa, what the heck's going on here? And it, it's kind of scary. It's a scary time in general because there's so much going on around, and so many fuel, so many things that are fueling those anxiety fires a little bit to the point where you just have to disconnect from everything for a bit and just let the world spin and you just do your own thing. I know I certainly, if I'm not working on Legos, I'm doing other things like gaming, uh, reading, uh, just things to create a little bit of a buffer zone between me and the world uh, so that way I can come back with a a better approach to things without it becoming destructive. And I think that's a danger for a lot of us. Uh, Some people did not handle that very well and it kind of shows in how they interact, especially when you see social media, The, the people going totally uh, ballistic over small things. Just the crazy world that we're in right now. Yeah, social media, that world can be very toxic, doesn't it? I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it other than it's just toxic, right? So, um, you know, the, you know, I, I'm just I'm really glad to, to see what you're doing. I mean, not just with this, this uh, Lego church project, but just for bringing, being an advocate for people with disabilities. And I was just telling you that our, our little girl, Emily, she's only two. But she has Down syndrome, and uh, so we don't know the extent of you know what the future looks like with her physical and cognitive abilities. But but we do know she's an amazing gift from God. So you know what what are some of the things I guess even just some practical solutions that that we can do for for folks with disabilities in the church right now. You know I I, I think of something as simple as an example is if your church is not wheelchair accessible, maybe it's time to hold a bottle drive and get a wheelchair ramp. Uh, or, or maybe just get one of those um, those lifts, you know, the elevator lifts. You know, do something like that. Is that a good place to start? I believe so. 
but also too, I think it's even more basic than that. I believe it's attitude. I believe that attitude plays a major role in how we look at people with disability. Uh, I've certainly been in situations even before the pandemic where people see me, they see how big of a person I am, but they don't realize that there's a lot of underlying conditions. There's a lack of empathy and a lack of compassion. Certainly, uh, churches can definitely do more to make things a little more easier for people to get in. I know at our parish, uh, we took two rear entrances. We removed the steps and put in a small a small ramp. Uh, with no very, we're talking minor changes here and there. Uh, I know one parish uh, in Redford, Michigan, our Lady of Loretto, uh, they have a uh, elevator that they have for wheelchairs, and they've always had it. So there, there are things that, pe there are small things, even the smallest things to make things easier, but it, it goes back down to the attitude, the mentality that we should make people feel welcome inside our parishes that we should not necessarily be strangers to each other. Uh, you see people come in and if they don't look like you, you give them these like evil glares. It's like, wait a minute, what the heck? We should not be judgmental. We should not be passing judgment. We should take people where they're at and let them find God. Uh, there are some battles that are just between us and God. And we can try and be encouragement we can try and show them a good path. But at the same time, though, it's like, when, especially when it comes to those with disabilities, especially like the invisible disabilities, like autism and such, there's a lot of people out there who may face mental health issues, severe anxiety, that even being inside a group of people may be uncomfortable for them. I know for me, from my own experiences with severe tinnitus, being in a quiet room is agonizing but I still endure it. I still survive it. Grace of God, I'm still standing. Uh, but I think it goes back down to that showing more mercy and compassion, which is something that our society really has moved away from. And even in some extent, even within the churches. Uh, years ago, I got into a discussion with a fellow and one of his big complaints, well, it costs money to put wheelchair ramps and stuff in. Yeah, but at the same time, though, it's your attitude that's making more of an impact because by your attitude like that, you're making someone feel unwelcome. And that is the worst thing that you can do inside a church is to make someone feel like they don't belong. Yeah, if like, you're like they're a burden, right, John? And that's, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That if, if I had any complaint that would be the biggest one is the worst thing you can do is make someone feel like they don't belong there. And when, when in reality, we should be making sure that people do feel welcome. They feel like they do have a place to sit down. Uh, we should take consideration as to what's going on. I, I've had people that have talked to me or they, they, they encourage me not to go to church because my asthma It's like, hey, I'm going to come take the precautions that I need to but I'm going to be part of the church. That's who I am. Uh, you cannot, you should not deny anyone the ability to go to church. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about that. I'll give you another quick example too, John. And this is, uh, think about young families, you know, they come to church. There's, uh, you know, some of the older churches always had a crying room where you could take your kids back. Yeah. A lot of that's an afterthought now. And, and even some of the, I've seen the stairs even from, uh, 
from our family. You know, you have young children that are that are noisy and they're getting into things. You know, it's not uh, it, it, it's hard to control. You don't want to distract the rest of the congregation and and mass. But uh, you know, I always say too to people, I said you got to be patient with with young families because that's the future of our church. And I remember one priest said, if you don't hear babies crying in a church, that's the sign of a dead dead parish. And uh, you know, we, we don't, we never want that. We always want to hear a choir of children, uh, talking cause that's, that's how they, they're at church. That's how they, they work and they worship. Right. So another, yeah. just an example of how we can be more accepting of people where they're at in their life and how they're trying to grow in their relationship with Jesus and bringing their children to mass. And of course, Jesus wants all the little children to come to him. So, no, that's, uh, that's great. We talked a little bit about social media. And boy, cancel culture, John. What a oh, what an absolute shit. abomination that thing is turning into here. And uh, it's really hitting a lot of a lot of Catholics or a lot of people of faith and, and of goodwill. Uh, so I know social media really fuels that a lot. But, um, you know, social media is a place where it's just it's so toxic now. It's hard to share your, your uh, beliefs and your faith with others. And... Uh, I think a lot of people have turned to social media because they can't go to church and they can't go to, to, to mass. So they're looking for that kind of community online. And I don't know if that's the best place to find it, but for the folks that just can't go to, to mass or to church right now, and we know there's a lot of Catholics around the world that can't do that. How can we still, it's still important. We got to share our faith, right, John? I mean, that the, the, the evangelization doesn't stop because our mass, uh, public masses stop we still need to evangelize so what are some ways some practical ways that we can still share our faith with others during this uh, this time of crisis well once again it goes back to the example of myself and what i'm doing uh and, and i think it start to start off is the way that i see things on social media is i come to the understanding that that at sometimes anything you post could be fueled for some kind of criticism. That's just to be expected. Christ never told us that things were going to be easy. He often said that we're going to be hated uh, for believing in him. Uh, and I take that message to heart in knowing that in my interactions, yeah, I may ruffle someone's feathers by speaking the truth. Uh, but I also too, to me also as well, I think tone really does play an important role. I, I think that you can still speak on the issues, especially like with abortion, which is definitely a hot button issue. I think you can do it in a respectful way that doesn't put anyone down, doesn't necessarily make them feel uncomfortable, but at the same time, you still, that you're still able to stand on solid ground with your feelings and your belief in it uh, without going down that toxic road, not getting into that kind of that troll mentality where you're berating everyone for holding a different view other than yours. We really kind of have moved away from that idea of showing mercy and compassion, uh, particularly with those that we disagree with. Uh, and I know I use my social media platform, especially Twitter, to to share the faith creatively. I'm often sharing photos of what either what I'm working on with the current project build or uh, with past builds, showcasing the talent, showcasing that, that following that same message of mine of disability awareness, of, of what it means to me to be someone within the church that has a disability. It's not always an easy time. Uh, I have been very blessed by those who support me not just in terms of my work uh, with the project, but also too in terms of making sure that I can 
get access to the sacraments, not everyone has that luxury, unfortunately. Uh, and I think that, that right now, social media is a double-edged sword, but it is how we decide to use it. How are we going to go into, uh, when, when we go on, when we start making posts on social media, are we lifting people up or are we trying to take the easy route and condemn them to Hades? And I think that's the question you should ask yourself, really. Is this post going to be uplifting or is it going to be so critical that you're going to turn someone away even when you may not necessarily intend it? Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no question about that for sure. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, the evangelization efforts, they, they can't, they can't stop for us in the church. And even like St. Paul says, you know, we always have to be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within us. But we always got to keep reading the rest of that passage. It says to do so with charity, right? And I know I don't yeah. always, I don't always live up to that the way I'd like to, but I'm certainly going to aspire to that because uh, the path to holiness and sharing your faith is, um, yeah. is certainly one paved with charity, isn't it, John? <laughs> if, if you, if you see, if you see me sometimes, you, it, it you can tell the issues that will send me into a tizzy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not afraid. I am not afraid to call out something or someone if, if necessary. But once again, if I can do it in a way that is uplifting, and that's the challenge because you get your passions fired up, you get your temper fired up, and you're clanging on the keyboard as a Twitter warrior, uh, armchair theologian. <laughs> thinking that you know better it's like holy spirit guide my hands because i'm about to say something stupid <laughs> well, how many times have we put posts down where we've thought better of uh of clicking a send right or, or tweet yeah i've done that i've done that numerous times uh i figure if i if it takes me two or three times to try and write the same thing out that's like okay i'm moving on <laughs> time to move on exactly you know, John, it's, it's such a, a blessing to, to chat with you here. Before we get into where we can find you online, uh, I like to ask our guests what, what sort of a rule in life that they have, something that they do every day to, go, to grow in their relationship with Jesus, uh, to live a sacramental life. Uh, what are some of the things that you do every day? I think for me, the biggest thing that I pray for is for the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to face what comes my way. I, I'm a firm believer that, that God will guide us through whatever storm that we have to face. And within this past couple of months for me, I've certainly had a share of more storms than I normally have had. But at the same time, I've been able to get, number one, have that physical strength to be able to handle it. Number two, the wisdom to figure out the best path to go. Uh, prayer is not always about seeking magical answers. It is about understanding what's going on and finding the answers within but then the courage sometimes there are things that we do that we're afraid to do there's always that inner fear that that sense of doubt that we're doing the right thing uh so the courage to face those fears head on uh that's something that i certainly strive uh my personal i often say my personal motto is by the grace of god i'm still standing and that's not always from a physical standpoint but from a spiritual standpoint uh, given the different things that I've had to go through, uh, as I said, earlier this year, I had a major health crisis, which I'm doing better from, thank God. But we've also had family health crises, which were challenging in itself. But you know what? It's like uh, through power of prayer, power of the Holy Spirit, we overcome them. Uh, I'm a firm believer in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and that it can guide us when necessary. 
as I said, it's not always about finding magical answers, but rather it's about trying to find solutions that otherwise we may not even think of. Directions to go in that, that in our moment of stress, we may not be able to see clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And then living in the present moment, right, John? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes we got to look at the future. Sometimes we learn lessons from the past, but to dwell too much on, on those two areas, uh, sometimes we'll, we'll forget what we got to do today. And, you know, we talk about sins of omission, and I know that's something in my life that, uh, you know, you look back throughout the day and you say, well, I, you know, look at the Ten Commandments. I didn't do all these things today, but then I think of the things I didn't do. And it's like, oh boy, that's because I'm not focusing in the present moment and letting the Holy Spirit guide our our actions and our words and, and our prompting, the promptings of the Holy Spirit when need be. So that's uh, that's great, John. Well, how do people get a hold of you? John, I know you've got, uh, we talked about your Twitter a little bit already, and, and uh, I know you're on Facebook, but uh, yeah, how can people look at some of these uh, these great church Lego projects that you're doing and uh, maybe even how they can donate to you if they, they feel the, uh, the call in their heart to do so? Well, they can reach me on Twitter under uh, kc 8 w zm that's my handle uh that is my amateur radio call sign uh, that i've been uh, licensed for a long time uh if they're looking to make a donation they can drop me a message uh my uh inbox is open uh so i can give them more detail on that they can also look up uh, on the facebook page under lego church project i've had my uh, facebook page since uh almost 10 years now i believe I think I started it in 2011. Uh, hard, hard to believe. Uh, so they can drop me a message on there as well. Uh, I can give them the details. I do take donations, either uh, monetary donations uh, through PayPal, or occasionally someone's got some Legos that they want to donate. Uh, so I do take physical donations as well. Or if there's some other area, I, I often say the the best way to help out my project is to help me share the story. Help me to get the word out about what I'm doing. Uh, so that way more people can see the artwork that I'm doing to see how, uh, how I'm trying to build the faith one brick at a time. Uh, this, is, this is what I do. This is how I share the faith with others. This is what God is doing in my life. And I'm a firm believer in making sure that people have a chance to see that because I hope somewhere down the road, uh, some parent, who's found out that their child may have cerebral palsy or may have some kind of disability, they can realize that their child does have a future and that God will do something powerful for them. So good, John. Well, thanks for, for being a gift to our church. I, I appreciate uh, uh, your your example so much and what you're doing. And uh, thanks for doing this, uh, this the Church Lego project. It's outstanding. And uh, for all your the, the awareness that you're bringing to, to folks with disabilities, it's uh, it's beautiful. So, John, thanks so much for your time. I hope we can catch up with you again sometime in the near future. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. A big thanks again to John Kramer for joining us in this episode. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter and Facebook. He's got all kinds of great pictures of his current project and about 20 seasons worth of Lego Church projects behind him that you can view. And also a big thanks to John for bringing about some more awareness for folks with disabilities and uh, wanting to people to feel more welcome when they come into church that uh, maybe look a little different, are a little bit different, but they're certainly unique people and unique in the sight of God. And we do need to be more welcoming and also to bring awareness to people that don't necessarily have the means to get to church, jumping in a car and just simply driving to mass. 
And I think we could all use a little bit more awareness in finding out where those opportunities are to help people that have mobility issues to make sure that they can get to mass as well. It's a, it's a great act of, of charity. So thanks to John for that as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. I certainly enjoy hearing from all of you. Your feedback and your prayers have been great. We're on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms. And we really appreciate the support. I'm having a ton of fun doing these podcasts and uh, always enjoy your feedback. So thank you very much. And a reminder to all you Catholics, you know that drill, in order to achieve holiness and to walk with God in a true state of grace, you need to go to confession at least three times a year. And that's every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Do not even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.